0: Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, and daring to keep the unity, the spirit, and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Appreciate uh, the good attendance tonight and the interest uh, that you have in the theme that was announced this morning is it right to preach about the one body. And when we talk about the one the one church uh that you read about in the new testament. I think I think a, a lot of people have a hard time understanding what we mean by that. And let, let me just say a few things as we get into this lesson. When we talk about the one body when when Jesus talked about the church, you understand he he did not use plural terms. He spoke in singular terms. When when he said in that great declaration, after Peter made the confession, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus did not say on that rock, I'm going to build a bunch of churches. He said upon that rock, the, the rock of the confession Peter made, the truth about who Jesus is, that he's the son of god on that foundation i'm going to build my church and i can't speak for anyone else but but i want you to understand tonight when i talk about the church that's the one i'm talking about if i'm not currently in the church that jesus described when he made that statement In Matthew chapter 16, then to be honest with you, and I hope you understand what I mean, I want to get out of this one, and I want to get into that one. That's the only church that the Bible knows anything about. The church that Jesus promised to build, the one that He bought with His own blood, the one that we'll see tonight as we look at the Word of God, He is the head over. In the savior of. But when we talk about that, it's so hard to get people to understand what we're talking about. And I think the confusion leads to a lot of negative perceptions about our biblical identity. You, you know, one of the main things people say about us, those people think they're the only ones who are going to heaven. We don't make that decision. What we said this morning, and we'll, we'll circle back to this idea again tonight, is that God is the one who does the adding. I think it's altogether possible for someone to have their name on the role of a, of a church like this. A directory, and your name is in the directory. It's possible for us to put our name on, on human roles, but it not be on the role that's going to be called up yonder. I don't write that. God does. And He does it when we submit to the Word He's given us. When we're saved by grace and washed by blood. He does the adding. And again, a lot of people don't understand that, and so they have this negative perception about who we are, who they think we are. I think it's possible that there were people here with us this morning that wondered if it was right. That, that we should preach about the oneness of the body of Jesus Christ and and now just to be honest with you I think not just the possibility of visitors who who have never even heard about the Church of Christ before but those who have been in churches of Christ and affiliated with churches of Christ their whole lives some of those people have begun have begun to waver some of them have begun to ask that question is it is it really right that we should talk about the one body. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. And obviously, I, I, I believe it is right because I preached on it this morning. It's right to preach about the one body because there is just one body. I was listening to a lawyer one time. He's also a preacher and he was telling his students that in building a case, it's always wise to lead off with your strongest evidence. He said that, you know, Start with your strongest point. This is our strongest point. Why should we preach that there's just one body? Because that's what the Bible teaches. The reason that it's right to preach about the one body is because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there is just one. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. uh, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members uh, do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body each member belongs to all the others now before we move on listen you understand this I think everybody understands this here you're looking at I'm standing in front of you this is this is one body there are all kinds of, of different parts of the body you know you, you the heart and the kidney and the, the liver and the lungs you know all, all of these all of these individual parts and they make up the one body every baptized believer in this building tonight is part of the one body. All, we've got all of these different members, but it's just one body. And what you'll see as we go along tonight is that there are some that are going to say, well, this group makes up you know a, a certain kind of body. It's still under the bottom. No, no. Listen, when we talk about the church, we're, we're talking about one body... All the saved people, all the people who have ever been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ are in that one body. And the Bible says nothing about any other body. There's just one. In First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, very similar to what we just read, uh, the body is a unit. And though it's made up of many parts and though all of its parts are many, uh, they form one body. So it is with Christ, we're, we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or, or free, we, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Lee read for us a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, there's one body, one spirit, uh, just as you were called to the one hope that, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in you all, listen, verse after verse comes back to this idea. It's not something we came up with. It's not something we made up. The the Bible very clearly sets forth this truth. It's foundational in our understanding of, of God's plan. There is one body. If you look at those seven ones in Ephesians 4, One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. It's amazing how some people can pick and choose when it comes to the truth of God's Word. And what I mean by that is sometimes they struggle with what God's Word says when God's Word comes in conflict with their personal beliefs, with something that they've always believed to be true. And when... Their prior understanding comes into conflict with clear teaching. Sometimes it's hard to give up what you've always believed. But we have to challenge any thinking that, that accepts the oneness of God, and the oneness of Christ, and the one hope, but then rejects the one body. The, the idea that you can, you can walk through Ephesians 4, like you do at the buffet and just pick the parts you want. Well, I like some of this and I like a little more of that, but I don't I don't particularly care too much for this. It doesn't work that way. I don't think anybody could conclude from reading what Ephesians 4, 4 through, uh, through 6 clearly teaches. I don't think anybody could conclude that there's a plurality of lords, a plurality of gods, how many hopes do we have? Just one? Let, let me, let me just give this by way of illustration. I, I think it will not be uncommon for you as, as you think about conversations when, when somebody finds out that you're a Christian. They may not just bluntly come out and say, are you a Christian? But, but they've reached the conclusion that you are a Christian. And when that, when that truth is established, there's always a follow up question. Where do you go to church? What if somebody found out that you were a Christian and instead of saying to you, hey, yeah, that's great, where do you go to church? What if they were to say to you, which Christ do you follow? You would reject that out of hand. If they said to you, which hope Do you cling to? I'm a Christian. Which God do you worship? You see, all all of us understand there's one God. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one hope. The struggle people have when they come to this idea of one body is that they have lived so long with the understanding of a plurality of options of getting saved and joining the church of your choice that the thought That there is just one body is so foreign to them that it's just really difficult to understand. We all know that Jesus is not a Savior, a Savior. He's the Savior. We all know that God is not a God, He's the true and living God. What's amazing to me is how we can stumble over the clear language of the text. That the very same book that declares there's just one Lord also declares there's just one church, one body. How could we reject the the, the philosophy that says, well, get saved and, and follow the Christ of your choice? We would never do that. But accept and embrace. The idea that you can get saved and join the church of your choice. Nobody joined a church in the Bible. You're you're not going to find one example in the Bible of somebody joining the church. God added saved people to the church. That's how that worked in the first century. That's the record we have in the Word that God has given to us. Our culture, I think, has had a greater impact on our thinking than what, what most of us are willing to admit. We've become so accustomed to the pluralistic and, and denominational culture in which we live. Uh, some have inadvertently absorbed that mindset in, into our way of thinking. We've normalized and, and we've legitimized it. And I think some of us just don't want to be perceived by others as mean-spirited, uh, legalistic, narrow-minded, uh, self-righteous Christians. You'd have to agree that when it comes to one God, one Lord, one hope, we all know that there is no choice to be made. And when it comes to the one body, there's no such thing as choosing from a plurality of options. That there is just one body. But why preach that? Because... It's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's just one body. And, and here's why we should preach it. Number two. Listen, salvation is in that body. The, the urgency of preaching and, and teaching this. What, what did we say this morning? We said salvation is in Christ. The thing that puts you in Christ also puts you in the church. If, if we're saved in Christ... We're added to the body of saved people by God. This is why it's so urgent that we that we preach not some of what God's Word says, but the whole counsel of God. This morning we looked at Acts 2.47. I've mentioned it already tonight or made reference to it. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such, such as should be saved. The church is composed of people added to it by the Lord. But what people does God add to the church? I don't know how it would be possible to misunderstand what verse 47 says. says—that The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. He's taking saved people and he's adding them to, to the body, to the church. One of the clearer passages, or clearest passages in the New Testament, is in Ephesians five twenty three, where the Apostle Paul uh, he says the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, look that that helps define some terms when we talk about the body throughout the text. All, all of all of those verses that we've already looked at tonight that over and over again say there's one body. There's just one body, many members, but one body. What is the body? This verse tells us. The body that God has been talking about and describing in all these other verses, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. His body, the body, is the church. Now, what do we know about the church? What does this verse tell us about the body? Jesus is not just the head of the body. He's the the Savior of it. What does that tell us about the body? The, The body... All the people who have ever been saved by the blood of Jesus, they're in this body. This, this is the, the group of people that Jesus, by His sacrificial death, that bloody sacrifice of God's Son on the cross, these are the folks that are saved by that sacrifice. What do you want to call them? Well, they're the church. What else does the Bible call them? They're the one body that we're talking about. That's the body of the saved. I told you this morning that when people understand the Bible definition of the church. They'll they'll see the necessity. When they know what it is, they'll understand why it's essential to be a part of it. When we use that term church of Christ, we're talking about the saved. All of the saved. And none but the saved. It's the entire body of the redeemed. And, and Christ, again, is not only the head of the body, He's the Savior of it. I wouldn't be preaching this sermon tonight if the Bible taught that peop- people could be saved in any religious body. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that salvation is in Christ and that we must be in the body of Christ, His church. To be saved. I know that by preaching the truth found in Acts two forty seven and Ephesians five twenty-three, there will be some hurt feelings. That we run the risk of being looked down upon, as I already said, as legalistic or self righteous. But we have to run that risk. Because we know what God's Word says. There's no salvation. Outside of Christ. There's no salvation. Outside of his church. And that truth is too important. For us to keep it to ourselves. Part of the problem I think. That, we're, that we struggle with. It's not just the religious world. It's, it's the world. It's the culture in general. The, the idea of, of pluralism. The the idea that you just choose your own way back to God, that that we should never limit anybody's way of life. I mean, that, that, that whole... I had a book in my office, The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. What's the challenge? The challenge of the gospel... In a pluralistic society is a pluralistic society believes that they can come to God any way they want to come to God. That that it is at their discretion to decide that they're coming. And if they make that decision, that no matter how they come to God, He'll accept them. When you preach the gospel in a pluralistic society, you you have to confront that mindset with the truth that there's only one way back to God. And that one way is through Jesus Christ, His Son, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And it is difficult to preach an exclusive gospel. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's difficult on modern ears That are so accustomed to choice. To choosing their own lifestyle. Their own moral code. And for some, their own, in their thinking, their own way back to God. It's difficult for them to hear that there is an exclusive way that leads back to God. And that's why we need to preach the one body. Because so many people are confused about it there are just so many people who are confused about this biblical subject as frequently as the church is mentioned in the pages of the New Testament you'd think that it would be well understood but that's not the case i think there's considerable confusion regarding the church in the religious world and i think there's growing ignorance of this sacred institution amongst Christian people. One of the reasons we need to preach lessons like this. I really believe strongly. In the power of God's word. When it is when it is preached and shared. That it doesn't come back void. That it accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. That faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And when we stop Preaching some of these foundational truths of the Bible, people stop believing them because they haven't heard it. And when they stop hearing it, they stop believing it. And then they're surprised they hear it and they're offended because they've never even heard that before. I can't fully explain how confused people are when it comes to this subject but I do think it's our responsibility to clear up that widespread confusion by preaching what what God's Word clearly says. When I say that people are confused about the one body, I mean they they don't have a biblical understanding of it. Some people think that they have a solid grasp on the idea of undenominational Christianity. What they really have in mind is more of an interdenominational Christendom. They have an idea that the church is an institution made up of all, all of the denominations. But that's not the picture God gives us of the one body we read about in the Bible. A man named Kippy Myers wrote an article, 2006, July issue of 2006, issue of the Spiritual Sword, Is It Possible to Be a Christian Only? In that article he said, I personally know of no Protestant group that would say it is the church, of the New Testament, and that there is no other true church. He said, As I understand it, each group thinks of itself as a piece of the pie. and When all of the pieces are together, they form the whole pie, the church, the body of Christ. Even groups, listen, that call themselves non-denominational nevertheless consider themselves to be a piece of that pie, though they are not officially associated with the authority structure of any of the other pieces. When I read that, I did a Google search this afternoon. Would you bring that up for me? I think that's a pretty good description of how a lot of people think. The the denominational view of the church, that's really the accepted view of most people. Each group is counted as a slice of the whole pie. And you'll notice this little box down here, right? No, No two pieces are exactly alike. And they're all different. They have different names. They have different organizational structures. They have different doctrines. You know what's really confusing? When when Jesus in John 17 prayed that we may be one. That's the prayer. That we might all be one. You know why he said that? That the world might believe that you've sent me. You know what all this division does? It confuses people and it leads to unbelief. How could you have contradictory conflicting names structures doctrines styles of worship and and ultimately how could a person who sincerely wants to know god and desperately desires to enter into a relationship with god through jesus christ ask the same question how how do i become a christian what do i need to do to be saved and receive a different answer from 15 different You know, faith groups. You're not going to see anything like that in the Bible. Again, somebody might say, Tim, is that right? This this is starting to sound arrogant. I'm not trying to be arrogant. What I'm telling you is, it would be arrogant to try to push off on people. the, The model that you see projected before you tonight, as if that's what God intended... Or that's what His inspired Word has presented to us as as the model, the preference that God has given us in Scripture. It's not. Would you bring up the next slide? I need to go to a class on how to make better PowerPoint slides. That one's all me, baby. Right there, that's me. When you look at the Bible, what you have isn't, the, these different slices of the pie, you know, one of them is the Catholic Church, or one of them is the Methodist Church, or one of them is, you know, Lutheran, or Baptist, or Presbyterian, or Mormon, or, or you know, and, and one, of that, one of them, one of the little slices there is the Church of Christ. That's not the biblical picture. What, what you've got in the Bible, you've got congregations, but they're all, they're all the same church. The church that belongs to Jesus Christ. When we say the church of Christ, we're not saying it the way so many people hear denominational language. Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, church of the Nazarene, church of Christ. No. We're talking about the church that Jesus died to establish. And and what you find in the Bible is, you've got the church of Christ in Rome, in, in, in Ephesus, in Galatia, in Philippi, and in Corinth. You, you have the same church. Listen, they have the same structure. The same organization. They, they're, they're borrowing from the same biblical designations. Sometimes it's just called the body of Christ. Sometimes it's called the kingdom of Christ. Sometimes it's called the church of Christ. Sometimes it's called the church of God or the church of the living God. Or sometimes it's, it's called things like, you know, the bride of Christ. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about all the same people. They're not divided by different beliefs, different organizational structures. They're not divided by various plans of salvation. They're they're preaching the same Jesus in every place. and, And they're giving the exact same response to every person who asks the question, how do I become a Christian? There's no variation. Now, There is autonomy in the sense that Christ is the head over all of these congregations. And each congregation is overseen by biblically qualified elders. No one congregation rules over another. Christ is the head of all. And then each one is organized biblically at the local level. They have elders. They have deacons. They have members. They have evangelists. That is a more biblical picture of what we're looking at in the Scripture. It's hard for people who are used to looking through uh, denominational lenses. I mean, we, we, most of us have grown up hearing, not, not in churches of Christ, but I'm talking about from the world. Some of the most prominent preachers in our culture have preached get saved and join the church of your choice. Here's a little challenge for you. Go home and read. Just start with Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 and read all the way to the end of Revelation. And see if you can find one person in the Bible that ever said anything like that. you're not going to find it. You won't find one example where people made that appeal to get saved and join the church of your choice. They were taught about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were called upon to repent of their sins, to make the good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You read through the book of Acts, you'll not on one occasion, not one time, will you find somebody asking Jesus to come into their heart. You will not find one example of one person saying what is commonly described as the sinner's prayer. But the inspired conversion accounts that are recorded and preserved for us, every single one of those examples ends the same way. When people hear the truth about Jesus and they accept the message, they're baptized. All of them. All of the people who heard the message and accepted it were baptized. And and none of them. There's no record anywhere of any, any of them protesting that that would be works salvation or water salvation. All of that's a new development. In the Bible, when they heard that this is what God wanted them to do, they got up right away and they did it. You you, you hear things like, at that hour of the night, or immediately. What does that suggest? As soon as they understood the truth, they obeyed it. They acted on it. And nobody argued about the plan that was set forth. You, You know, the reason for that, there were no competing plans at that time. All they had was the truth as God had originally given it. Our problem today is that over the course of all these years, men have come up with so many competing doctrines. People have become so accustomed to hearing all of these other things that the simple truth of God's Word doesn't sound right to them anymore. Even even though they can read it, this is what I don't understand. You, you can go and read about faith, confession, repentance, and immersion verse after verse after verse, and there are people that will reject it, but you cannot find one example anywhere in the Bible about the sinner's prayer, or asking Jesus into your heart, or being voted on to be a member of some human denomination, and yet people will submit to all of that stuff, and somehow be offended by what God's Word clearly teaches. That doesn't change our responsibility. Acts twenty verses twenty six and twenty seven. Uh, if we're going to be innocent of the blood of all men, if we're gonna, if we're gonna say my conscience is clear, we've gotta, we've gotta make sure that we preach the whole counsel of God. That that we preach the things that are readily accepted by, uh, you know, people in our culture and in our communities, and, and we also preach the truth. That is difficult to hear. That is different than what people expect. But we don't preach truth because it's popular. We preach truth because it's the truth. And the truth is what sets people free. The truth is what sanctifies people. And the truth is what saves people. I want to end with this. It's a, an example of a man named James Wilcut. I, I don't know the man. It was in that same article I mentioned a second ago, July 2006, issue of Spiritual Sword. He described how some men came into his office and they were having a hard time uh, understanding. They, this point about the Church of Christ, biblical teaching, that, that we, we just want to be Christians only. We're not, we're not saying that, that our desire, you know, we're the only ones. What we're saying is, We want to be Christians only. Can can I explain that by saying, we don't want to be hyphenated Christians. I don't want to be a Catholic Christian, a Mormon Christian, a Baptist Christian, a Presbyterian Christian. You're just going down. I don't want to be a, listen, I don't want to be a Church of Christ Christian. I just want to be a Christian like the ones you read about in the Bible. Now, those Christians that you read about in the Bible were in the church. But they never called themselves Church of Christ preachers and Church of Christ elders. And, you know, Church of Christ, you understand what I'm saying? They were just Christians. And because they were Christians, they were part of his church. So here's what this guy did to try to explain how that all works. Would you help me out with the slides? The first thing he did is he puts down this Augsburg Confession of Faith and a Bible. He he grabs these two books, he puts them on his desk, and and he just asks, "What, what would that make me? And the guy said, well, I guess that'd make you a Lutheran. He, he takes the Augsburg Confession of Faith and he puts it back up. He grabs another Bible, sets it down there, uh, another book, sets it down there by the Bible. It's the Book of Mormon. He said, what, what would these two books make me? They said, well, it'd probably make you a Mormon. He puts that book up. He gets another one and he sets it down next to the Bible. It's the Baptist, you know, standard manual. What would these two books make me? Well, they make you a Baptist. Then he takes that book and puts it back on the shelf and he just lays his Bible out there. And he said, what would that book make me? There's only one thing that book's going to make you. It's not going to make you any kind of Christian. It's just going to make you a plain old Christian. That's it. You you need to add to it to get something else. But what I'm trying to tell you tonight is when you add to it, you're really taken away from it. You're going to end up with something other than God's original intent. Would you just look around look around at all the confusion that, that people have created by adding competing messages to the clear teaching that God has already given us? I'm sure that there are things about the Bible that I don't understand completely. And I, and I think if it's true that I've studied with other people and, and I think they've reached wrong conclusions, I think it's possible that other people have studied with me. And maybe I've reached some wrong conclusions. But I'll tell you what I think sets us apart. We're not content to settle on the truth that we've been given from somebody else. And we're always going back and re-examining what we believe and why we believe it. And it's my conviction that as as long as we keep looking for what God wants in the Word that He's given us, that His Word is going to take us where He wants us to be. The, The simple truth Of God's word can be trusted. And when we follow it, you know how Jesus said it? He talked about the wise and foolish builders. When we follow what God says in His word, we're like a wise man that built his house on the rock. What are you going to build your salvation on? You going to build it on other people, on their faith, on, on their study, on on the weight of their testimony. When we're talking about salvation, there isn't anything more personal, more pressing, more urgent than where you spend eternity. And I don't think that there's anything more important in this whole process. Than, than building on the on the rock, on the truth that God has given us. What did we say this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13? We were all baptized by one Spirit into the one body. And if you haven't done that, the most important thing for you to do tonight is to be baptized by the one Spirit into the one body. To be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And if you want to do that, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.